Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. And in that moment, I don't know what happens where souls go. But I really realized the depth of love that I had for this little being. And thank God for music, because I really uh, had a very hard time taking the next step. And like always, the song seemed to find me. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Merman, a B-side from Tori's fourth album, From the Choir Girl Hotel. Go to bed, the priests are dead, now no one can call you back, go to bed. So Finally, Hi, David. Hi, Eve. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm amazing. You know why? We're recording this on my favorite day of the year, Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> I know. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, David. We're going to have to make it snappy and get through this so I can start drinking heavily and watching game coverage. We will have to make it snappy because I have a line of men coming over to play some ball. That sounds, ooh, that sounds right. Well, you went in a different direction. I'm a merman on my knees. You're, oh golly. You went in a different direction. I was going to say, I'm happy to be in my profession fishbowl with you to talk about merman and to become merman but this is the safest place to be for us on super bowl sunday frankly true <laughs> safe in our frame this little fishbowl i will be yeah. safe safe in my bowl safe in my cast i don't need a sea view <laughs> i don't need a savior either do you imagine <laughs> do you imagine tori checking into a hotel the choir girl hotel maybe when they're like oh Ms. amos we've prepared our sea view suite for you and she's like i have no need for a sea view <laughs> i don't need a sea view <laughs> yeah, I imagine that. Her being so rude about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited today because we're going to talk about The Little Mermaid. Mm, yes. Look at this show. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't we make her discography complete? <laughs> oh, I love it. Wouldn't you think I'm the song? The song that has everything. <laughs> We've got live shows and line by lines aplenty. We've got quotes it's and yanta galore. Go- <laughs> <laughs> you want Shea Bob? I got 20. <laughs> But who cares? No big deal. We want a 2021 tour. Give me more. (laughs) Good. I'm glad we did that. Me too. Let's never do it again. Yeah, let's never, ever touch that again. We are on the B-side season. I'm so excited to be moving forward with this discography and really committing to our recording schedule. And I'm trying to be more disciplined in my daily life anyway. So the fact that we have a day and a time and we never veer from that is good for me. How is that going? And by that, I mean integrating more discipline to your daily life so far so good (laughs) we'll see how the year shapes up Mm. i'm hoping that 2021 
ends better than it began. Mm. So in preparation for the end of the year, <laughs> like preparation for when the gays will see me again when I come back out, you know, I'm working on myself. Yeah. That's what I'm, I mean, not for them, for myself, but I also, I want them to look at me. Me too. I have similar goals. And by that, I mean, I am endeavoring to listen to Janet Jackson's album Discipline every day. I have a complicated relationship with Janet, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty. You have a complicated relationship with everyone. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Mm. I need a moment to recover. It's a great album. It has feedback on it. Before we get into Merman, let's decide. Are we calling it Merman or Merman? We are not calling it Merman. <laughs> team Ethel? You're not Team Ethel? No, the same way we don't call it Spider-Man. <laughs> Well, he's Jewish. Peter Parker? <laughs> Spider-Man. Peter Parker, Spider-Man. <laughs> I know it's fun to say Merman, but I will find it to be very distracting, and I need to be focused. Well, okay. When I'm trying to distract you, that's what I'll do. <laughs> Look over there. It's a Merman. Look to Tori herself. She doesn't sing, he is a Merman. She could. The same way, she, <laughs> the same way when she introduces herself, she doesn't say, I'm Tori Amos, but people still insist on saying it that way. Well, it's cute when Peter says it, when Peter Zimmerman says it. Ooh. Zimmerman? Well, but we know why he's doing it to be funny, which it is. But when other people say it seriously and they're like, I'm a huge fan of Tori Amos. It's like, you don't even know how to say her name. Calm down. You don't even know it. This reminds me of the woman who came over to my apartment to sell magazine subscriptions back in the day. And I had a giant poster of Tori Amos behind me. And I opened the door and I'm like, yes. She's like, I'm here to sell magazine subscriptions. And I was looking through a little catalog and she was like getting clues, you know, about my life to like connect with me. And she's like, oh my God, I love Tony Amos. It was the lithograph where she's like pressed against the copy machine, but long. Mm -hmm. And like the R, it looked like it could have been Tony if you were just reading it for the first time and weren't a fan. Oh, I love Tony Amos. Oh my God. I That's how I feel every time I go to Trader Joe's where, you know, they're like trained to make conversation with you. Your favorite mm -hmm. thing. I was at the checkout this week and I was wearing my Tory mask, generously gifted to us by Emily Cousins. Mask for mask. Mask for mask. And I forgot what I was wearing it. And the checkout guy was like, oh, who's that on your mask? And I was like, Tory Amos. And he was like, oh, cool. Awesome. And I was like, you don't even know who that is. Don't embarrass either yeah. one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Emily Cousins, for those masks, by the way. I wear it every day. They are delightful. Every day? You don't, you're don't. you not supposed to wear the same mask every day. Well, we, she gave us two, so I alternate. Oh, well, you just had the same one every day. Well, okay, they both have... Whatever. Don't mask shame me. <laughs> don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me how to mask for mask. You know I don't know how to do it. You're supposed to match your mask to your outfit. <laughs> uh, Tori goes with everything. Yeah, you're right. I want one of those chain mail masks. You know which ones I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and then I want one of those ones that like you see through, but they have spikes on them. Like, don't come at me, like fashion masks. Yeah, I want to make safety yeah. medieval. Me too. <laughs> and like, sexy. Because armor would protect you, and so it makes sense that your mask should be made of armor. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Instead, you've built a fortress around your heart. Well, that's a topic we explored to its fullest extent. So, we're going to go with Merman, yes? Yes. Good, because I couldn't keep up calling it Merman this whole episode. Merman. When was the first time you heard merman you know what i think they did their best to prevent piracy of this hot digital track but it didn't work because i got an mp3 without pre-ordering the album from tower records suck at atlantic what David? i know i don't remember you need to immediately stop what you're doing and go over and venmo Torium's 99 cents please uh, do you know how many times i bought this album i think it's only two once on final and once on cd <laughs> but still it's more than most people in the world well you still owe her 99 cents <laughs> with interest inflation for the this year. She owes me a lot too, so let's call it even. Oh, she does owe us all that 2020 book tour money. Plus, I just don't think I she think orbits owes us. She doesn't value my time. If she was to compensate me for all the time that I've spent talking about her. <laughs> 
Could you imagine she pays us by the hour to speak of her? Yeah. What would our rate be? You can pay us in demos and live tracks from the vault. That's fine. I would work for that. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. So your first time hearing this was prior to the album's release? I believe so. Or right around the time of the album's release. Because I don't remember if you pre... Do you remember if you pre-ordered the album? Did you get the download right away? Well, I will tell you. I didn't pre-order the album. Mm. I didn't have internet in my home or anything like that. In 1998? Of course, David, I had moved out of my mom's house. I was living on my own with some fellow teenagers. I didn't... I couldn't afford internet. I could barely afford rent. But I could afford the Tori Amos album. Of course. (laughs) I just wasn't aware of any of the digital downloads the first time i heard merman david get ready to be envious the first time i heard merman was live in albuquerque 98 that was the first time i heard it live did but you I know what it was listen. i don't think i did because I, my memory of hearing merman for the first time is on the no boundaries kosovo refugee compilation that was my memory of hearing it for the first time but the set list in albuquerque 98 demands that i must have heard it that night mm-hmm. so i just don't recall it you probably thought it was twinkle i probably did I'm such a bitch i'm a basic <laughs> bitch i thought it was twinkle what is this new lyrics in twinkle get on to the good stuff i will say sometimes when she starts either live it takes a while to tell which song it is until she starts singing y- yeah it does. It does because she twinkles. Like yeah. she plays those like high. Yeah. She it's, does. I like that. But I do love this song, What Will Haunt Me For All Time, David. And I just have to say it here in the introduction. What Will Haunt Me For All Time is that this song really should be in our chronology prior to Choir Girl Hotel. Mm. But I didn't put it there. Controversial. I know. It should be 401, Ugh. like Era 4, the first track. But that would have messed with our Choir Girl track numbers, so I couldn't do that. I know. Do you so, think people are going to be mad, enraged? Yes, I think people are going to be outraged. They're, They're going to throw, protest. Yes, throw their devices down and scream, go to bed, <laughs> dream instead. That pot is dead. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Please tweet us that, at Songs of Tori Amos. <laughs> Better yet, put it into pictures and tag us in them on Instagram, at Songs of Tori Amos. Of yourself furiously throwing down whatever device you throwing choose to listen to the show on, yes. <laughs> But whatever you do, don't unsubscribe. In fact, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We need it. Thank you. <laughs> and also call our hotline, 323-296-9955. It's fine. If you're enraged you're by the do. way we've messed with Tori's chronology, please leave us an enraged voicemail. <laughs> leave us a passionate yes, voicemail. Please. Yeah. <laughs> and a donation. Whatever. It's fine. Whatever you want to do, do it. We should talk about our guests. All right. Who's coming to the bowl? Our guests today, we have brought in for the Merman episode, a gay anthem. We have to call it. It's a gay anthem iconic do you think when tori sat down to write this song she was like i want to do my version of ymca a gay anthem (laughs) no (laughs) so we have invited for our gayest episode yet we have invited a gaggle of gays to join us in our fishbowl roundtable that we'll play later in the show Mm. i'm so excited jeremy culver and jeremy elder we'd also like to say a heartfelt thank you to shay stymack she is our librarian and she has some tales to tell on this episode she sure does shay's a merman to the schnee. <laughs> Thank you, Shay. Thanks, Shay. I also wanted to mention our Patreon here at the beginning of this episode, patreon.com slash songs of Amos, where right now on Patreon, we have a Patreon exclusive episode on Upside Down. We're going through the Little Earthquakes B-sides now, simultaneous to the Choir Girl B-sides. Mm. And so if you want to hear any everything you ever wanted to know about those B-sides, you're going to go over to patreon.com slash songs of Amos. That's happening right now. Everything you always wanted to know about Tori Amos B-sides, but we're afraid to ask. It's like all alternate versions of ourselves recording those simultaneously in a different timeline. That's what I like to think of it as. That's the Tori Amos (laughs) multiverse. It's the Little Earthquakes Us. Younger. 
We've got one outfit, and it's from Patagonia. Less wrinkles. I love it. Mm. Are you just going to talk the whole time, or are you going to listen to the show? Because I think you paid a lot via Patreon to listen to this. <laughs> no, really. <Yeah>. No, really. <laughs> And some people have already run out to our Patreon and subscribed, David, and we should say thank you to them. Thank you. Thank you. First, there's Zach Sullivan. Get back, Zach. Do it again. <laughs> there's Lori Conley. Loria, talking about Conley. That was beautiful. If I do say so myself. Beautiful singing voice, David. Beautiful. New patron, Anne Meehan. Having thoughts of Anne Meehan or got a peanut butter Anne Meehan? I don't know. <laughs> what if it's Anne Meehan? Corey Tice jumped up to a higher level. Thank you so much, Corey. Mmm, Corey stories. What's your favorite Corey story? Marianne Donnarumma is back and better than ever. She jumped up to one of our highest levels. Thanks, Marianne Donnarumma. Just when you think she's going to zig, she zags. Marianne Donnarumma, you can't keep her down. <laughs> Hello to new patron, Kim Boo. Ah, you scared me. <laughs> Hello to new patron, Adam Roberts. Adam, kiss my Eve. Hi, Adam. Hello to new patron, Emily Kanushk. Emily Kanushk is enough, is enough, is Kanush. <laughs> Hello to new patron, Patty Lynn. Eve, I ordered you a Patty Lynn cake. Ooh, you did? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it gets here soon. I'm starving. Mm -hmm. Hi to Chris Castillo. Hello. Uh, Castillo's are burning in mi corazón. <laughs> is that a Tory lyric? Uh-huh. He's been everybody else's niña. <laughs> Welcome back to Christopher Gray, who jumped up to a higher level. Hi, Christopher Gray. Christopher's are gray and the fires are burning. Christopher's are gray and the fires are burning. <laughs> See, that was me doing a dramatic reading of your line. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I'm not an actor, so I can't inhabit the words the way you do. Thank you for pointing out that I can, in fact, and do. Robert Janeway, hello to new patron Robert Janeway. Robert Janeway down. Ooh, maybe he's the afterglow. Because he's with the Patreons, you know. Hello again to Jen Sky's Teachworth, who jumped up to our highest level. Highest. Damn, Eve, I need to ask you something. Is your place in heaven worth giving up Jen Sky's Teachworth's kisses? No. I didn't think so. There is no place in heaven worth giving it up, and I would never. Well, man, you got too many brambles. And finally, hello to our newest patron, Bernie Schwartz. Baby at Bernie's to be your Schwartz on the side. We love Baby you. Baby at Bernie's. We love you, Schwartz and all. Oh, that's so sweet of you, David. <laughs> well, should we get started? I'm already there. I'm already going. I mean, we've been doing it for so long. I feel like we have started. I know. You owe me gas money. Well, David, since we've decided that the official pronunciation is Merman, and we're going to have to let Ethel Merman go, I'm going to play Anything Goes by Ethel Merman to get us into this episode. Just to let her go. Just say goodbye. Mwah, I love you, Ethel. Time have changed, and we've often rewound the clock. The Puritans got a shock when they landed on Plymouth Rock. If today any shock they should try to stem, instead of landing on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock would land on them. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking. Now heaven Just silly jig alone. 
David, anything goes, apparently, except for saying Merman. That never goes. Does not go over well. How was your break, David? It was pretty great. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. How about you? It was fine. I'm feeling positive today. Oh, good. This is a really interesting song to try to pin down in terms of where it appears and how it appears, because there's many a version of this song, would you say? So many. I wouldn't normally start out like this, but there was some kind of leak like a long time after the Choir Girl era. I know. And two Merman demos, two, not one, but two demos surfaced of Merman. Our bowl has sprung a leak and two demos slipped out. I think that was Tori's gift to us. I think she leaked them. She's like, have you heard these though? These slap. Yeah. Do you imagine her hitting upload and then putting a finger to her lips and going, shh. It was me. (laughs) It was me all along. I only imagine her hitting upload if she wants a reason to start a fight with Mark. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's just looking for a reason. Someone leaked these. Um, So let's play the two demos. Let's play demo Juan. Of all the songs to have two demos leaked, yeah, I don't mean this to sound critical, it's meandering, and I think it has remained so ever since. It is formless and like wood, this song. Befitting of a merman. Absolutely befitting of a merman. Yeah, but it's just <laughs> funny that for a sparse song that's piano and vocal, there are two demos for it. Maybe it came to her once, mm-hmm. and then it came to her a second time at a different point, is what I would imagine that she would have it recorded twice, like hunting it down twice. Mm-hmm. And she's not playing it on piano, right? It's like a keyboard. She's playing it on the synth, which is interesting because she opted to eventually record the studio, you know, the released version on piano. Whereas when we have other demos like Playboy Mommy and she's using like the sax sample that eventually Mm -hmm. makes its way onto the album. But this is different. Uh She listened back and was like, nah, piano. The next time we see this song, it appears in 1999 on the No Boundaries, a benefit for the Kosovar refugees, and here it is. Go to bed, the priests are dead. Did you get that CD? Did you rush out and get it? That was a great compilation, though. That was good music. I did rush out and get it, even though I already had the MP3 of the song but mm-hmm. you know it was that time when we had to have everything physical we were like let's get physical it's on a cd gotta mm-hmm. grab it i just want product i need to hold it in my hand i do the next time we see the song it appears in 2006 on a piano b-side version here it is finally Sounds exactly the same. I wonder why. 
maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Everything's tweaked. You know, that whole compilation is about tweaking, changing, trying new things. The way that this song is recorded and the way that the backing vocals are layered and the kind of way they play off of each other, I think is very reminiscent of the Choir Girl era. I don't mm-hmm. think anything else from any other era sounds quite like this, except mm-hmm. for cooling, which to me is yet further evidence that this song was recorded <laughs> During the Choir Girl era, everyone. Stop trying to get cooling into all the episodes. (laughs) Because it was. I don't know. Like, of all the things, it just bothers me because it's so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting heated. And I just don't like when people act like they know something. Like, oh, cooling was actually recorded during the Boys for Pele (laughs) sessions. Like, no, it wasn't. I hate when people speak with authority on a subject. (laughs) Well, when they're wrong. (laughs) We've been wrong. Not me, but we together. Yeah, Yeah. Not me personally. It's okay, because we're never wrong separately. We're only wrong together. Yeah. And two wrongs do, in fact, make a right, so. It's actually true. I've learned. Doing this podcast has taught me anything. Mm -hmm. We next hear it in 2007 on Legs and Boots. It appears on one from Boston, October 19th, 2007. Roll it, Oliver. Go to bed, the pre-sorted, finally. What's your relationship with this song? Do you love this song? Is it a top 10, 20, 30? What is it for you? Um, I don't think about this song very often for whatever reason. And maybe that's because it appeared on a compilation and that was my only physical copy. I agree with you. I don't necessarily think of this song often either. But I do know one thing about the song is that the fans of this song are like hardcore fans of this song. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain songs where if you're a China fan, you're a China fan for life. Or mm. if you're a merman fan, like you'll come to the meet and greets dressed as a merman, yeah. which somebody did at our Halloween costume contest in 2017. Mm-hmm. Someone dressed as a merman. I think they won too. Or like what were one of the three winners. Yeah. I feel like this song is like someone from your high school that you weren't friends with, but you sort of like recognize them. And when you go to your high school reunion, they come up to you and they're like, hey, do you remember me? It's me, merman. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Now, yes, yes, I do remember you. Like when this song appears live, it's like, oh yeah, Merman, yeah. Oh yeah, I know this one, Merman. It's right. Like they were really cool, and like you just never really got close, but yeah. they were really cool. Yeah, I remember yeah. you. Like you remind me of a certain. Of course, ti- I remember you. You remind me of a very certain time in my life, even though we weren't close. Yeah, same here. And I think that this song is absolutely entrenched in the choir girl waters. Like you can't separate the song from the era at all. Mm-hmm. Like this song, like you said, was born in this era, and that's it. Like yeah, it, it was. Ne- a, it it was a, completely different. It was an at-home water birth. <laughs> yeah, hold my hair. And we're doulas. We can add that to our resume. <laughs> Tori Amos discography doulas. <laughs> we're helping give birth to context. We are. In the Tori Amos discography. <laughs> Should we get into the quotes then? Yes. How we give birth to the context of this song? Yes. <gasps> oh my God. How far apart are your contractions? <laughs> oh! <laughs> ah, it's an Atlantic Records press release <laughs> from March 30th, 1998. You would be so upset if I had done that. <laughs> Let me just say. <laughs> 
I don't know how you see me, but I need to reassess how I'm presenting myself. That's what you think. If you don't think I could recognize that as a humorous joke, no matter which of us delivered it. Oh, I didn't say it wasn't funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> From the Atlantic Records press release, March 30th, 1998, which I just gave birth to, coinciding with Atlantic's relaunch of Tori.com, the website will feature footage of her Letterman performance of Spark. Beginning April 10th, the refreshed website will also be the launching pad for a remarkable online promotion conducted in cooperation with Tower Records and AT&T's A2B Music, which will offer an exclusive downloadable bonus Tory track for anyone who pre-orders their copy of From the Choir Girl Hotel through Tower Records. The song Merman is a brand new recording that will not appear on the new album. Fans can pre-order the album at Tower Records retail outlets through the Tower Records toll-free hotline or online via both the Tower website and America Online, keyword Tower. At that time, customers will be provided with a unique code enabling them to download the full-length CD-quality Merman track. Those who place their orders at Tower Outlets will be given a special Tory collectible postcard at the register, which will include their access code and complete downloading instructions. The Merman download will be offered utilizing state-of-the-art technology from AT&T's proprietary A2B Music designed to safeguard against piracy. Once downloaded, the song will be playable only through the computer which receives it. The track's audio file cannot be copied or transferred to any other machine. Mm. What I love about this press release, David, is that not only is it telling us about the exciting downloadable track that we get when we pre-order the album, but it's also teaching us what a download downloadable track is, how it works, that it's completely safe, what you need, how to get it. I love it. Well, we didn't know. This was a first of its kind. What the heck was A to B music? I love that it's A to B and not A to Z. They're like, this is, this is new technology. <laughs> we can give you Amos through the Bee Gees, but that's it. If you want- But we're not giving you anything after. If you want Frank yeah. Zappa, you're out of luck. Don't even ask for Yanni. No, <laughs> I never do. <laughs> No, I love this. And it suddenly occurs to me why I didn't know about the downloadable track. Because I didn't, not only did I not work for Tower Records, like someone on this podcast, but I also didn't have a Tower Records in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So it wasn't available to us. There was mm. not a Tower Records there. There was only a warehouse music. Well, you know, Tory fans are nothing if not resourceful. You don't think there would have been a way for you to get your hands on those postcards? Maybe if you would have asked me, I would have grabbed you a stack of them. Well, I actually have a stack of them given to me by Shaggy two years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I've got a ton of them. Thank you, Shags. Everyone loves a postcard with a free download code from 1998. (laughs) And just so everyone knows, if you haven't seen it or you didn't have one, the postcard was, it featured the artwork from the back of the CD where it's her back. Just the back of Tori floating up. Right. Nothing special. I mean, the postcard itself was the collectible, but like the picture wasn't new or anything. No. But didn't the actual download come with a picture that wasn't anywhere else? I don't think so. This is from Discography.info. They say, the somewhat obscure single for Merman was officially released as a digital-only download when pre-ordering from the Choir Girl Hotel. It came with its own dedicated artwork. The last three photos above were taken from an advertisement from page 25 of Billboard Spotlight for July 18, 1998. The photo of the player is part of an advertisement for the company who made the player software, which allowed them to offer the song. 
wrong. Since the photo we have of the actual single art isn't the best quality, we created a clearer mock-up version to give users a better idea of what it might have looked like. And it was the picture that we associated. It's the one where she's got like, you can't see her eyes and she's floating up and it's just her hair. It's the one that's on the back of my cell phone from, case. You from know what I'm talking about? The limited edition Spark. Yeah, yeah. That's the one that came with the player. It was the photo that would appear in the player of Merman. Okay. I was not aware of that. Because you pirated it. That's true. You're crafty, bitch. I am. Pirates, yeah. Oh, we know what remix we're playing at the end. I love that (laughs) remix. If you want to see that, you can go to the ToriMissDiscography.info page, and you can see the trade ad for Merman. We'll put a little picture of it on our show notes. I I love love that photo. I love that photo, too. And they took just her harms from that photo, and that's what's on the actual CD of Choir Girl, right? What do you mean? The actual CD... The image oh, the CD, on the, the CD disc. is just her yeah. arms, and it's from that picture, right? Yeah, the CD has just her forearms, like the hand, her left hand, I think, or her, I guess it would be her right hand, is what's in the middle. Why don't you read this from Billboard magazine on April 4th, 1998, prior to the disc's release. Okay, the internet, which played a strong promotional role for Boys for Pele, will again come into play. Amos will be the first artist to participate in a promotion by Tower Records and AT&T, whereby customers who purchase albums at the chain stores or worldwide website will be able to download free of charge bonus tracks exclusive to the promotion. In Amos's case, the non-album track Mermaid will be available to Tower customers April 7th. Which is, oh, about a month before the album was released. That's a long time that to is. have that song. God. Yeah. You know we were all, not we all, but a lot of people were listening to this three-minute track over and over again for a full month. Of course. Over and over. If I'd had it, I would have listened to it nonstop. But I do feel like if I'd heard the song prior to the album, it would have changed my approach to the album. So I'm glad I didn't hear it, honestly. You would have come at I it from behind? From, in a manner of speaking, because I heard Siren, and I was really pumped for this band album, right? And if I'd heard Merman, I would have been confused, and it might have taken away a little of the wind out of my sails for an al- a band album. Because mm. I was building in my mind this idea of a band. Yeah. Which she did deliver on, you know? It was building, and it would have come tumbling down, verb. But also, you would have been like, okay, Tori, okay, I'm liking this band sound. It's <sighs> subtle. It's subtle, but I do like yeah. it. It would have been like up and down. Like I was high off of Siren. I would have come down for Merman. I'd have been like, it would have been too much. You know, it's a nice after dinner mint. Mm-hmm. A nice little aperitif after the meal. Mm, you don't think it's like a palate cleanser, like a sorbet in between Siren and Choir Girl? I don't eat sorbet before dinner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. From the dent.com, June 1999, Mike Y reports... In the spring of 1998, Tower Records launched a series of promotions that involved the downloading of free, exclusive tracks to computer users who purchased full-length albums at the chain stores or website. The first track in the promotion was Merman. You were given free access to the Merman sound clip if you pre-ordered from the Choir Girl Hotel from a Tower Records store or their website. Around March 1999, A2B Music created a special Grammy showcase page where you could download for free various sound clips from Grammy-nominated artists including Tori's Merman. This marked the first time that this track was made available to the masses for free. Prior to that, you had to be a Tori Amos fan who bought the album. Mm. This time, it was just available. They were like, this song slaps so hard, everyone needs to hear it. Yeah, the masses. We need to distribute this to the world. Get it out there. What if Merman had become like, I don't know, like a virgin or thriller? Like the one thing, everyone, that united the world? Like everyone just liked it? (laughs) It, was like, it itself was breakfast every hour. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I could save the world. 
Interesting about the no boundaries, a benefit for the Kosovar refugees disc, David. If you were to go to Amazon Music and try to play the song Merman from that album, the, the album is available on Amazon Music and you can hear nine of the like 15 tracks, but you can't hear the Tori Amos one. And it says it's expected September 5th, 2036. Are you serious? Yeah. What do you think <laughs> that is about? <laughs> It was the first one we heard from the album, but it'll be the last one released. That's so frustrating. It's like when you're the first person to show up to buy tickets, which we don't do anymore, and it's wristbands. <laughs> and you're like, I was here first, but you get a number that's in the back of the line. That's bullshit. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> Maybe Tower purchased exclusive rights to that song or licensed exclusive rights to that song through 2036, which would have been 38 years. <laughs> Jesus. Well, Tower is back as Tower.com. What if you go to Tower? Ooh, I, I actually haven't, I haven't looked at it. What if you go to Tower.com and it's nothing but an MP3 of Merman until 2036. <laughs> that would be smart because it was the first song that they released as part of their initiative, right? Yeah. So it should be, it would be beautiful poetic justice for it to be the first song they re-released in their new incarnation. God, I love poetic justice for obscure B-sides. Speaking of Janet Jackson. And extinct brick and mortar retailers. I'm on towerrecords.com and there is not a mention of Merman. In fact, there's a search button at the top and I'm typing it in right now as we speak, David. Vamp, Merman. And the only thing that comes up up. Uh, uh, Ethel Merman, Mermania, Volume 1. <laughs> Finally, you found her. That's what I wanted to call this episode, Mermania. Mermania. Welcome to Mermania. We're in a frenzy. We've got Mermania. <laughs> yeah, that's another instance where you couldn't pronounce it Merman, Mermania. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why don't you read this from Attitude, November 1999. It's inspired by a man with integrity. Such deep integrity that I married him. It's about having someone heal your whole life. I'm talking about the times when lines have been crossed by men. Men can be dangerous, like in the song Datura, about how sometimes they can bring you gold, and sometimes they can be the bearer of poison. The plant Datura is a hallucinogen, and it's like men. If you get the right amount, you'll walk into the garden and become a woman. But if too much seeps in the wrong way and at the wrong time, it'll kill you. So yeah, Merman is that. When I was touring last year and Matthew Shepard got murdered, I was dedicating it to him. A lot of guys were asking me to sing it for him, and it just kind of took on a life of its own. I really love that, and I am excited to get into the line-by-line line because I think I I think I think understand the song. I, I feel like I'm coming into this song with an understanding that I don't always come into every song with. Like, I love talking through the line-by-line line with you because it always puts a, it brings a fresh perspective out into the open, mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm rejuvenated, and I get the song in a completely new way. But here, with this song, I feel like I understand what a merman is and why he's the merman and, like, why Mark is the merman. I might as well just say it now. This whole album is that water theme, and she's like in deep, deep water in Pandora. She's in deep, deep water in liquid diamonds. She's drowning, right? She's drowning in this grief. And he, a strong merman, floated down and met her there, met her in that grief Mm. and lifted her up. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that's why he's a merman. He can get through her grief. He can swim around in it with her. I've always thought that was a beautiful way of honoring him or like honoring that pain between them. So... Also, Tori has compared herself to The Little Mermaid and Silent All These Years was in part inspired by The Little Mermaid. And she said things Mm -hmm, like, I mm -hmm. sound like The Little Mermaid on acid. So could it be that this Little (laughs) Mermaid has finally met her match in the form of a merman? Oh, that's, take it one step further every time, David. I Mm. love that. I agree. And she did write the lyrics to Silent All These Years in an aerial notebook. She did. Obviously, she met her soulmate and... This is about their love between them, but it has become so much more, this song, in terms of like dedicating it to Matthew Shepard and really honoring the idea of a a strong spirit like that. 
But I think once she linked it to him, not for her necessarily that it became less about Mark, but for the audience who may not have necessarily known it was about Mark, it became sort of intrinsically linked with Matthew Shepard in a way. Mm -hmm. Why don't you read this from A Piano, Liner Notes, 2006. The songs that came were all the children that couldn't be with their mothers. It was very much about the love of a mother for her child and that loss. I felt as though I could see the spirits of the children separated from their birth mothers. They let me know they would eventually be going to another mother. I wanted my child to go to another mother and not have the envy of losing that bond. I like that we have this quote here because I do hear the song as like a healing spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. And the way she's talking about the so- the spirits of the songs being separated from like where they want to go or where they're you know going on to somewhere new and this song being not bound even to the cd right it's kind of forever floating yeah and i like that and this song did go on to find other mothers as it was embraced by the audience and took on new meaning or different meaning we are all merman's mom we are all merman's woman we are all the great mother strong black vine Are you ready for another quote, David? Mm Mm-hmm. This is from MTV News 1515, which you may have seen a sort of truncated version of it on MTV News. It circulated over the years. It was like a 10-minute news program where several fans went backstage to talk to Tori. And that was fine, but it was only one small part of a longer interview. The whole interview was never aired, but the transcript survives on the way back machine, and I found it. Are you ready? Yes. You're not going to like some of it, and we can discuss later. Soraya asks, how do you feel when people request B-sides that other people don't know at your shows? And Tori says, the B-sides are my favorite. On Spark, there's one, Cooling, which didn't make boys for Pele, and it is the recording that I did in the Irish church. And Merman, which is like Cooling and Honey and Sugar and Upside Down, Merman is coming out on Jackie's strength. Merman is one of my favorites, and it didn't make this record. Okay, there's two things to unpack here. Number one, this narrative, and she does it to herself at this point, like all her favorite songs never make the records. Mm -hmm. And we we even have clips in the live section, which we'll play when we get to the lounge, where she says, you know, my favorites never make the records. Well, that's your choice. Yeah, that's true. That is your choice. You choose your choice. You did this to yourself. (laughs) Exactly. She always acts like some like record executive hand came down from the sky and was like, thou shalt not put honey. (laughs) Right. Or murmur or upside down or Mm. sugar it's just funny but i want to unpack two things number one it was supposed to be on the jackie strength single that would make sense why because i would venture to say that this song is ultimately about mark and their relationship and jackie's strength is about kind of a pivot point in her life where you know obviously they got married and she didn't think she would so i think that's a nice pairing so do you think ultimately that she chose never seen blue over merman Or why didn't she just put them all on? Well, I guess they had like whatever deal she had to come up with something for a digital exclusive download. Oh, interesting for Kosovo maybe too. Maybe she licensed it to the Kosovo refugee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So it seems like she did sort of still manage to pair Jackie with another song that's about Mark and her relationship. Good point. And Cooling might even have a little to do with Mark. Possibly. That could have been the Mark EP. It could have been Jackie, Cooling, Never Seen Blue, and Merman. That would have been a fan favorite release for sure i think it would have been and we would have just been sent into peals of erotic ecstasy i'm doing it now yeah me too i'm just feeling it feeling myself just the idea of it the idea of what could have been yeah (laughs) how do you feel about this quote 
and I know that you've mentioned that you believe that cooling was recorded during the choir girl era. Here she says in black and white, actually blue and white. It is the recording that I did in the Irish church. Wait, is that? Oh yeah. Recording I did in the Irish church, David. It actually says that. Mm -hmm. David, it is the recording I did in the Irish church, David. Wink. Well, you're right. I do believe that. And what is a belief after all, if not just a thought you keep thinking? So I'm going to keep <laughs> thinking that. Okay. And well, also... <laughs> if I were that thought, I'd want you to think me. Same. And I would also like to point out that Tori has a terrible memory and is in no way an authority on her own work. <laughs> when we were talking about Upside Down recently, we read a quote where she was like, Upside Down is a B-side, I think? Like, she doesn't even know what her songs are. You don't are. think in 98 she remembers where she recorded a whole ass song? Well, <laughs> she might because, as you know, as she says in the quote, is the recording that I did in the church. But I think what she means by that is because this interview is truncated, she went to say, what I recorded in the church was me saying into the microphone, I wish I could record cooling right now, but I can't because it's not done. Right. Oh, okay. So, oh, wait, let me look closer. It is the recording that I did in the Irish church, David, but then I scrapped it for the recording that I did in the Cornwall studio yeah. right after we built it. Oh, you're right. That wasn't As there. I later told you, David, at the meet and greet <laughs> in Boulder, Colorado, the song is not done. How did you even know that it exists? Oh, my goodness. Maybe she meant that it wasn't done like it hadn't been mastered. Like she recorded it, but they just never got a chance to master it. Maybe. And the ma like the production on it and the, the backing vocals are very of the choir girl era. So mm -hmm. maybe it lives in both worlds, which would Ooh. actually make sense. Like maybe the Ooh. vocals were done. The backing vocals were done after the fact. I don't know. I still don't. I just don't believe it. Yo, Anderson, save it for cooling. All right. <laughs> that was a little precursor to what our upcoming cooling episode. <laughs> that was like next time on the Songs of Tori Amos. Should we get into the line by line? Do we have anything else to say in the quotes section? Let's line it up in single file. Let's do it. Go to bed, the priests are dead. Go to bed, the priests are dead. What is your take on that line? Well, it strikes me as kind of bossy. I'm an adult and I'll decide when it's bedtime. But I wonder if go to bed is just another way of saying like you can relax now. Yeah, I think that she's talking to her demons. I think that she's talking to whatever haunts her. You have a safe, soft place to land. Yeah. And you can be vulnerable and not feel like anything bad is going to happen to you. Yeah. What do you think she means by the priests are dead? I take that as all of this religious stuff, all of this judgment, these harsh eyes on you, they are dead. They're mm -hmm. gone. They're not here. Mm -hmm. They're not in this world. We've pointed this out before. It's interesting how often Tori references elements of Catholicism, given that she's a Methodist minister's daughter. So we have priests here. And I guess that brings to mind people in authority or people that hold power. Definitely the patriarchal structure. So I'm wondering if this goes back to the quote about the song, really the only time that she's talked about the song, when she talks about men crossing lines mm -hmm. and men in power. Maybe that just, mm -hmm. like she's using the word priest or the idea of a priest to embody all of that. I love that because if the merman is the good man, then the priests are the bad men. Yeah. And can I also say in terms of the idea of lines being crossed and men abusing power, I also can't help but think of the scandal in the Catholic Church involving right. abusive children that everyone, yeah. it was like, it was a very strange thing because everyone kind of knew about it but it wasn't mm -hmm. really made public or really accepted as fact up until just a couple of years ago. Yeah, when, but people would joke about it. So you knew that people knew about it. Right. And people kind of just accepted it. It, right. is, it was strange. Right. 
So I don't really think that that's what the song is about, but it can embody that too. It definitely can hold that for sure. And what's the opposite of a merman? What's the opposite of this beautiful, hunky, well-built, bearded, long-haired, I'm thinking of Triton, obviously. Is that what you see? Yes, a young Triton. That's always, of course, that's what I see. Is that not what you see? Is that what everybody sees? Oh God. <laughs> no, I see the- <laughs> Did I, I just expose myself? I see the creature from The Shape of Water, which you and I saw together. No, you do not. I you do. do not see that. I no, see, yeah, I see don't. like a creature from Stop the Black it. Lagoon fish man. Do you really? Kind of, just because I'm me. I don't ever see, when I close my eyes, I never see like a hot, sexy fish man. It's always just a monster. Even in 98, you saw a fish man yeah, from The Merman? kind of. Really? Yeah. See, I see a young Triton from The Little Mermaid. I yeah. see a young, long-haired, beautiful man with beautiful muscles, and he's got his little fish tail, and he's like coming down to save the day. I yeah, wish. That's what no, I see. mine has gills. Oh, it's so sad. He can't wrap you up in his gills and make anything better. I know. Well, to me, the opposite of a beautiful merman, like young King Triton, is a priest. Like, a priest is never going to be floating around underwater. That collar, that getup, no. Mm-hmm. Buttoned up, dry, dry, crunchy communion wafer. For sure crunchy. Now no one can call you back. Now no one can call you bad. With her history in the church, and maybe priest is the word that fit into the scheme of the song, fine. But it feels like she's referencing herself as a child almost to me. If she's referencing the priests and then hearing that now no one can call you bad, that these priests then are the ones that called her bad. If they're dead and now no one can call you bad then they were the ones that called her bad. Mm-hmm. It makes it reminds me of her grandmother. It reminds me of all those stories she's told. And it just it makes me really sad that when you're a child and the priests are sort of imposing that on you or your religious leaders are sort of imposing that on you. Yeah, well... I've shared with you before, I had a near miss in terms of almost being a Methodist minister's daughter myself. Really? Well, yeah. Tell my, me again. My dad almost became a minister. I went to a series of religious schools, as we've also talked about, and I was definitely, as a kid, made to feel like everything about me and everything that I liked and was interested in was bad. That sort of opens the song up for me. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they're bad, but everything that they're doing or interested in, too. Yeah. Wow. And for her, if it's that music, then the music she's playing is bad. That right? music, that devil music. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Go to bed, the so Finally. Finally, you're in peppermint land. Finally. Finally. You know what this reminds me of? Hmm. Daisy dead petals underneath the shade of the peppermint tree. Oh. Even though, like, there's the dispute whether it's tray or tree, but we're under the shade of a peppermint tree. Come on. Mm-hmm. That there's, in peppermint land, this safe space that there's peppermint trees, and it kind of sheds a little light onto mm-hmm. daisy dead petals for me. Finally. It makes me feel like all of that bad stuff is gone because now you've found this person that gets you and understands you and you can be yourself around and you're in heaven. You're in mm-hmm. utopia. You're in peppermint land. Mm-hmm. And peppermint does seem clean and refreshing. Yeah. yeah, and heavenly, right? Like yeah. it's white and red and it's just beautiful. It's like Christmas. Yeah. But there is something about this song that's very sweet and lullaby-like. And I think peppermint land kind of plays into that too. There's almost like a fantasy fairy tale bedtime story element to this song, I think. I agree. 
He's a merman. He doesn't need your voice. The way I see this is that to be Tori Amos, to be an international rock star, like she's found someone who doesn't need her to do that gets her on a person level and he doesn't he's not hanging on to her star he's not draining blood from the tip of her star whatever the the song is to tour a reference he's kind of her merman he doesn't need her voice he doesn't need any of that yeah and i think tori has talked a lot about or felt like she was loved for what she could do but not Mm -hmm. for who she really was independent of all of that and that this person really sees her and gets her so yeah I'm still shook to my very core, David. I don't know if I conveyed how shook I was that you see a fish person. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's probably because I think I don't deserve your version. No, you do. King Triton. Everyone deserves King Triton. Mm. Go to bed. Go to bed, dream instead, and you will find him. To me, this is her saying that he's the man of her dreams. Yes. Right? To me, this is her, yeah, this, to me, this is her, like, dreaming up the perfect person, and he is that. Oh, I want someone to write a song like this about me someday. I want someone to plagiarize her lyrics and say it's about me. Just once. Once in my goddamn life. He's a merman to the knee. Mm. What does that mean to you? We have to point out, or at least I do, and I'm gonna, that oftentimes when Tori sings about Mark, she references either guitars or knees. Oh, like give me another example. Or sugarcane. I think these are all instances where Mark is showing up in songs. Or molasses. Yes. Give me another example about the knees. Northern lad, how his knees could bend. Oh, you're right. And maybe that's her way of referencing his legs without saying calves specifically because she said that she was very drawn to his calves so mm-hmm. maybe she just inserts knee right but if there is any kind of literal interpretation it's that his tail goes up to his knee right but then he's got some real sexy knees i guess so but that's weird because normally a fish person <laughs> yeah. i'm willing to say their tail goes all the way up to their waist yeah, but, no not not this one but he's got <laughs> it's like, only to he the kind knee. of has like swim fins that go up to the calf and not just the ankle oh, but cute hot sexy mm-hmm. yeah she does reference his legs a lot do you remember that one interview she did where she was talking about his legs and she's like, I just turned around and there was the most beautiful set of calves ever. I don't mean to be crass. I'm like, oh, Tori, don't be crass. Don't say calves. Not on this show, not she's on like, cable. I saw the shiniest femur I've ever seen. Oh, I'm sorry for being crass. <laughs> Whoops. He had the sharpest patella <laughs> this side of the Atlantic. I don't know what a patella is. <laughs> a kneecap. Oh. <laughs> Does it Doesn't need something you're not willing to give. Does that seem sexual to you? Yeah. It seems to me that he's a safe space and will never harm you. Like that he will never put you in a... Like obviously there's a threat of sexual violence through her work, and at least in her early work. Mm-hmm. And she never has to worry about that with him. She says he had such deep integrity, such deep integrity that I married him. Mm-hmm. She can trust him that he will never manipulate her in that way. Mm-hmm. 
and that's why it's like go to bed the the demons are gone like this is someone you can trust Mm -hmm. in that way and that's like probably at least from what she said in interviews and how we know her probably one of the strongest ways that she couldn't trust someone right and some one of the strongest ways that she disconnected from men and to be able to find someone that doesn't need something you're not willing to give like that's learning to trust again yes Mm. he's a mama doesn't a merman doesn't need your voice to cross his lands of ice again that seems very kind of grounded in fantasy to me like a land of ice and maybe i don't you know we always associate mark with england in the south of england where it's very cold mm-hmm. so maybe Good like point. his domain is kind of this land of ice to me, the voice is her career. To me, her, the voice is her celebrity, mm-hmm. her platform, or her voice, like her singing, literally her voice, the fact that she's a musician, a superstar. But like, he doesn't need that for you to be part of his home, to be welcome into his lands of ice, to cross mm-hmm. those lands of ice, to be mm-hmm. part of his home. Mm. What a good song already. I know. I'm having that moment, too, where this song seems very relevant and pertinent and meaningful and deep. And I'm like, this is my favorite Tory song. And now that I've seen you again at our high school reunion, I'm like, oh, we were meant to be. We were best friends. We wasted so much time. Let's not lose anymore. <laughs> Here's my Facebook. <laughs> we should get coffee sometime, and then we never will. Go to bed, the priests are dead. Now no one can call you bad. Finally, you found him. Mm. This implies that that she's, I mean, obviously she's looking for her partner for a long time. And the finally implies that like she's finally found the one. I mean, it's right there on the page. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is one of the songs that's so kind of like personal and dear to Tori that she couldn't put it on the album? Kind of like cooling? Like it almost feels like a secret to her? Yeah, I would expect that that's why it's not on the album. Yeah, not only that, but she couldn't commit it to disc, at least for a while. It was just floating in the ether. It was recorded, obviously, before the album was mastered. I mean, like, it was ready to go before the album was ready to go. Sure, sure. But she knew she wasn't going to put it on there. Yep. It is a secret. And then you got that sweet download code, and you were like, finally, you found him. <laughs> finally, I found the song. <laughs> Let, it Let it out. What does that mean? I feel like that's just, like, this sigh of relief yeah let it out like finally like your shoulders relax all of this pain that you've been carrying around you can just let it out let's do it let's take a breath on that and release our shoulders i carry a lot of tension in my shoulders let's do it inhale (sighs) exhale let it out let it out yeah felt good could ever say you're not simply wonderful Mm. is that her i mean that's her talking to the merman right or is that the merman talking to her i imagine that it's her talking to the merman yeah like you are this wonderful creature she would probably say who i hold so dear you're the most wonderful thing 
How could anyone ever do or say anything to hurt you? I agree with that. Or I kind of like what you raised. Like, which direction is this going? Is this something he said to her? Like, I can't believe everything you've been through. I love you so much. How could anyone ever do anything to hurt you? Oh, God. To me, it's interesting because the only only thing that makes me think that it's Mark speaking is the word simply. And it feels very British construct of the sentence. Who could ever say you're not simply wonderful? Mm -hmm. It seems very British. And if she's letting it out, it also feels like maybe he's telling her that or she's telling herself like to let it out, like just to let it go. You know, you can breathe, you can relax, you can trust him. Mm. Who could ever say you're not simply wonderful indeed? Indeed. Sleep now, you're my little goat. Mm. How would you take you're my little goat? Maybe we can unpack it there. What does that mean, you're my little goat? Well, do we think that refers to the animal or an acronym for greatest of all time? For the greatest of all time, yeah. That's like a known acronym for the greatest of all time. Do you think initially when the lyrics book came out, Tori was like, the proofs kept coming back and goat was in all caps. And I was like, no, it's a horned goat. (laughs) But then I realized after editing for like the 90th time that it needed to hold both and it was the greatest of all time (laughs) no i don't think that happened okay but even though i do like the idea of goat being greatest of all time because i do watch mtv's the challenge and they're always talking about the goat i always have heard it in this song as being a little sweet little animal i don't know like someone i'll protect someone i'll take care of you're my So do we think goat is a term of endearment for Tori? Kind of like bean, beanie, jelly bean, Hmm, or fig newton? She says in Little Amsterdam, got a goat and a phone. Do we think Mark appears in both of these songs as a goat? Has he taken the the form of a goat? Expose. Breaking news here, folks. I love it. I think there's a link there. Yes. Again, maybe You're my in, little in, goat. Yeah, in Little Amsterdam, she's really made it through something, and she's arrived at the point where she's got a goat and dial-up. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, she's falling in love while they're making boys for play. Yeah, or she's already in love, so that mark is already a part of her life. I actually think there's so, something to that. I agree with you, and maybe she bought a cell phone at that time. How would you feel if you were Mark, if Eric got to be a wolf <laughs> and you were a goat? <laughs> Well, Mark probably describes himself as a goat. Probably. He's kind of like a grumpy goat with like a little chin beard. Yeah, don't forget. Yeah, he was like hairy at that time. Behind the soundboard, you ask him for the set list and he's chewing on it. He's like, okay, here here you go. Here you go. (laughs) You get it and it's all torn on the corner. Yeah. I love that. I love that connection because you're right. She does talk about having a, I got a goat and a phone. I said. I said. Really good. Heard it here first, folks. And last. Go to bed. The priests are dead. I love this refrain because you do kind of have to tell yourself to relax. Like whenever you're holding tension or trauma, that's your default, right? Like if you've been through a traumatic experience, to protect yourself from that trauma is your default. And you're, it's really hard to relax. And so you have to continue to remind yourself that it's okay. Like this is not that, this is this, right? So the refrain of go to bed, the priests are dead or go to bed. Like mm-hmm. You're putting them to bed. You're blessing them too. You're kind of blessing your past trauma in a way because you're telling it to, you can relax now, you can release and I bless you into the atmosphere, into mm-hmm. the universe, or into the dark, dark waters and I leave you there. Mm. Well said. Thank you. I was actually, sorry, I was silent for a second because I was actually sitting with that. Mm. Thank you, David. Now I'm going to stand up. (laughs) I appreciate you sitting with my words. Yeah. 
and come sing it all again. What is that? You know what I love about that line? To me, it has always sounded like sing him home again or something like that. I don't really hear come sing it all again, but that's what we have in the lyric book. Sometimes or most often, more often than not, when she performs this song live, she absolutely does sing it all again. She kind of <laughs> starts at the beginning and basically sings the whole song over. Those two demos are so unique in terms of like that they are both shapeless. Like it's a demo and you're hearing some of the words be born and like the melody be born, but you're not hearing a real shape to it, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, there's not like an, even the second demo, she kind of ends in a funny way. It doesn't need your form, David. It doesn't need your shape. No. Does that mean we should stop projecting our meaning onto the lyrics and dissecting no. it? Should we just let it be what it is? Should we just edit this we part just out? Line by line cancel from here on out. Mm-hmm. Go to bed past the apple orchard. To me, that's just another part of Peppermint Land. Yes. Like it's This is like an unexplored part of Tordor. Oh, this is like the nice part of Tordor. Yeah, it's been it's not been mapped, but we're exploring it now. Yes. Because only when you got through all those lava pits and murky waters could you see the apple orchard. Right. And beyond that is the good place where you'll feel nice. And you I feel like that line is condescending to me. You'll feel nice? It's like, you'll feel nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, she feels nice. You'll feel nice. It's a nice feeling. You'll like it, I promise. It's a seven and seven. It's sweet. You'll like it. I do like that line. You'll feel nice to me is simply stated and true. Like, she feels nice. I guess it's like, it, it fe- also feels like faint praise to me. Instead of like great or super? Yeah. Like, you'll feel amazing. It's like, you'll feel nice. It won't hurt. Well, to me, like, I follow this Instagram page called The Dodo, and it's like an animal rescue page. And they find strays, and then they, like, rehabilitate them and, like, adopt them. And there's always that moment where the animal, the dog, the stray cat or the stray dog, is, like, touched for the first time by a human being. And it's like, that feels nice. And they're terrified because a hand's coming down to them. But it's like, they're being pet and they can't like they want to pull away from it because every touch they've had has hurt before but that feels nice and Mm. they've got to learn to like let that in and so that's why i think it's nice and super feels nice i like that i like that oh does it feel nice though it's like a b (laughs) b minus b minus above average thank you but not like crazy good that's what everybody's always said about me (laughs) (laughs) me too god i know Two can play. I said two can play. I'm glad to hear the rules of this game because I am sick and tired of playing solitaire. (laughs) I thought four people were coming over. I guess it's doubles again. (laughs) What do you think this means? They can now swim off together? Yeah. You know, she's found found her mate. It's very sweet. What's your favorite lyrical moment in this song? If you had to choose one lyric. Um... After our discussion, I'm going to go with Let It Out. Who could ever say you're not simply wonderful? It's just this idea of like finding your person, finding your safe place in your home where you feel like someone sees you and accepts you for all that you are. And like no matter what else is happening in the world, you have that. I love that. How about you? 
I'm going to go with finally you're in peppermint land because there's something about that image that evokes like a safe space and like a beautiful space, like utopia. Mm-hmm. Peppermint land just feels so good or sounds so good. Mm-hmm. I'm also imagining marshmallow snow from Pink and Glitter. Oh, Like when God. you find yourself in peppermint land, you're also up to the knee in marshmallow snow. I love it. <laughs> I want to eat this song. And purple rain. Open your mouth. I would drown like a turkey looking up at the purple rain falling with my mouth open when i was in my kindergarten graduation <laughs> i'm gonna do something humiliating but only because it's on a b-side episode when i was in kindergarten we had to sing the song if all of the raindrops were lemon drops and gum drops oh what a rain it would be i would stand outside with my mouth open wide ah, 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 ah. and we all had to lift our heads up with our mouths open to the sky ah, 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 like we were drained down upon <laughs> perverted god you've anyway. never stopped doing it is the crazy thing (laughs) you're right i haven't and i never will should we listen to yanta though yes we should let's do it let's go deep into mermania (laughs) it does have that twinkle vibe right at the beginning you know and like a lullaby like with that first trilling of notes it's like turning the lights off but like Mm -hmm. leave the leave the light on no leave the door open too okay Good night. Have fun in Peppermint Land. So twinkle. Yeah. Sure, that merman. Is it on account that it's in the key of C that it feels so warm and comforting in this moment? It could be. You love equating the key of C with warm and comforting. I do. That's my favorite thing to do on this show. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think this was written obviously she committed this arrangement and this pattern of notes to the recording but do you think it was live in the moment and it just was what it was like playing underneath her singing or or do you think it was always this way we're on the same wavelength because I was going to ask you that 
I think she kind of had like a rough sketch of this song. Mm-hmm. And much like live, it's never quite or was never quite the same way twice. Because mm-hmm. I do feel like a, a lot of grace notes or a lot of like just, just playing, you know? Mm-hmm. She sings two can play here. I'm a re- I'm imagining a hand sort of reaching in and she slaps it away. Like, no. Why? <laughs> two can play. Okay, let me try. No, my song. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> that was, of course, Yanta. And you can support him at patreon.com slash Yanta. What do you think? I just uh, think it's a sweet little song. What about it you? It is. And as always, I love hearing it stripped down. I think it highlights the beauty of Tori's compositions. I'm ready to go to bed now. That put me right in a... Are you really? Yeah. Are you tired? I'm actually... tired guy? I'm actually in bed, propped up, sipping out of my <laughs> mug. I'm either ready to go Ooh. to bed or I feel like I'm the grandmother from Little Red Riding Hood. I'm like, oh, Eve. <laughs> oh, what big opinions you have. You sound especially sitting, so I'm surprised to hear you're laying. Mm. <laughs> Your diaphragm sounds open, not compressed whatsoever. <laughs> um, what's your favorite musical moment? Mm, probably the section Go Let It Out. It kind of like crests and there's like a floodgate opening kind of feeling, but maybe mm-hmm. floodgate is too strong of a word. It's like a tap being turned on or something more gentle. Yeah. But it feels yeah. kind of like this moment of like refreshment. No, I hear that. I'm going to go with the structure of the whole piece as a meandering thing that feels formless is my favorite musical moment. Like not any one specific moment of the song, but the fact that it is very gentle and lullaby-like. Yeah. Like the tone of it is my favorite musical thing about it. Would you it. say it feels nice? It does feel nice. And you know what I would also say is that two can play. I can play the song just as good as Tori. Watch me. I just need a keyboard. Oh, if I had my trombone still. Oh my god. How do you not have your... How do you not have... <laughs> I want Yanta, a Yanta segment every show, which we have, but I also want to pair it with an Eve trombone section where we have a <laughs> trombone cover of every single Tory song. Where I just add to Yanta's covers. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Like, I've taken the liberty it. of composing trombone accompaniment. <laughs> I'm harmonizing with him. <laughs> for Glory of the 80s. <laughs> I can do that. Carver I can drawn up in bones, trombones. <laughs> well, it's time for our gay roundtable, David. We're going to bring in Jeremy Culver and Jeremy Elder to talk about the cultural impact of this song within the gay community. Of course, the Matthew Shepard murder and Tori's response to it from the stage. So we'll be right back with that. did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces 
from the age of 13 until the day he died. Here I am, I'm 26, I'm gay. I was in the newsroom at the Casper Star Tribune where I was a reporter. And then an anti-gay hate crime happens to one of my friends. It was unfathomable to me, the description of the violence. Matt was beaten in the head and the face, struck between 19 and 21 times uh, with the butt end of a 357 Smith & Wesson. Matthew was covered in blood, and the only place where there was, uh, was no blood where, is where a tear had run down from his eye across his cheek. On October 6, 1998, my firstborn son and my hero lost. My first reaction was, why wasn't I there? Because I still have this haunting feeling that he was crying for dad. You know, dad, help me, help me. This was a story that got the world's attention. It was an entry point for people who didn't know that this kind of thing even happened, the, the severity of attacks on gay people. Prior to the Shepherd investigation, I was uh, completely and, and fully homophobic. The word faggot came out of my mouth as easily as I love you did to my children. And it didn't take uh, too long for me to begin to realize that all of the myths and stereotypes that I'd bought into all of my life were, uh, were just that. For years, I've wanted to bring in other fellow homosexuals onto the show to discuss the cultural impact of Tori Amos, especially her song, Merman, but just how Tori resonates with young gay people everywhere. So I've invited in two fellow gays, Jeremy Culver and Jeremy Elder, to discuss, they are super fans of the song, Merman, and what better time to discuss Tori's impact on us growing up as young gay kids. Hi, Jeremy's. Hello. Hello, fellow gays. <laughs> That's all it takes to be on the show. You just got to be gay. <laughs> That's like your only qualification. We thought our show was niche before, but now we're only talking to gay Jeremy's who love Tori Amos. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All right. Let's start with you, Jeremy Culver. Tell us a quick version of your Tori story. How did you meet her? How did you become obsessed with the music? Tell me everything. Um, like most teenagers in the 90s, I was a member of several music clubs that delivered me CDs <laughs> monthly. Right. At your whim. At a whim. They would just exactly. deliver them. And Boys for Pele happened to be one of those selections <laughs> of the month that arrived without any expectation of my own. And at first, I wasn't too into it. I was drawn to Hey Jupiter and Putting the Damage On. I think the rest of the album was over my head at age 13, so <laughs> I kind of put it aside. But then I was at a Hollywood video, and I found a copy of the Little Earthquake VHS, and I rented it, took it home, and I think those songs were a little more on my level at that tender mm -hmm. age. And from there, it just it blossomed. I revisited Boys for Pele. It took me a while, but I really, really got into it. I'm in love with it. It's probably now one of my favorite albums of all time. I can easily say it's one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, just from there, I've just been obsessed ever since. 
I love that. What about you, Jeremy Elder? Yeah, I, you know, was also in high school in the 90s. Um, and I remember it really, really well. I was at my friend Anna's house, and she had one of those fancy CD players with, like, six carousels. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, CDs could cycle through. And we were watching a movie or doing something else. I can't exactly remember. And then I heard this song, and I heard, like, slag, shit. Bag, pit, blah, blah. And I was like, what is this song? And it was obviously Professional Widow, and I had never heard anything like it before. Um, and yeah, I remember I took that CD home. So she lent it to me that night, and I listened to it, Boys for Pele, straight through like twice. And yeah, just instantaneously was obsessed. And the next day, went and bought uh, Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink. And yeah, it was, you know, when you're sort of like (laughs) a young gay, as we're discussing in high school and super impressionable, and you're trying to find ways to express yourself. And when you come across something that like her music was so different from anything else. And I also kind of felt different from everything else in ways that I couldn't yet articulate. And the experience of hearing her articulate sort of, her differences and everything in ways that were so unique. Yeah. It blew my mind. And, you know, she's my, she's been my favorite artist ever since. And it became the beginning of a, of a Tory journey that I've followed my entire life. I love that for both of you. Now, since this is a panel of discussing Tori and her impact on young gay kids, I want to ask the both of you, were you already out of the closet when you discovered Tori? Or were you even gay? Because you said young and impressionable. It's like, it could have gone either way, but I heard Tori. Yep, I'm gay. (laughs) Tori made you gay. Yeah. I mean, my parents floated that theory at one point, so. (laughs) Um, I will say I at least had a foot out of the closet by the time I had encountered Tori. The close friends that I had when I was a teenager all knew, but it wasn't a global knowledge yet. You hadn't quite come out globally like today? Correct. (laughs) It's all over now. Everyone knows. What about you, Jeremy Elder? Yeah, I had a boyfriend, but it was, like, still a secret. You remember? I, like, I don't know. Like, some of my friends knew, but none of my family or parents knew. And um, I think, you know, Tori didn't make me gay, but she definitely, like, solidified it. Um, (laughs) And I was, like, I was off to the races after that. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I, I wasn't confident in it yes and it wasn't you know so when i you know when i said kind of like impressionable it's sort of like you know you're still trying to figure out how to you know define your own feelings and how to talk about them to other people and uh your own confidence and self-esteem and all of that stuff is really kind of wrapped up into into that and i think you know when we don't know when we don't have words yet to express really abstract feelings we attach ourselves to songs or music or the arts or things that, you know, we, they, they express it for us in a way, something we haven't defined or articulated for ourselves. Um, and that's what she was to me. You know, she was articulating differences. Um, and, and, and that's kind of, I think, why it made such an impact on me. I want to explore that. Let's start with Jeremy Elder. Tell me a song, an early song that 
did that for you or that sort of articulated feelings that you couldn't express? Yeah, well, I mean, my original signature song was Cornflake Girl. <laughs> I um, love it. Yeah, it's funny. And it's a funny story. So the, the first song I heard, Professional Widow, I went to, this is Canada, so it was HMV at the time, which is where we went to buy our CDs. I bought her other CDs that were out. And then a couple days later, I was driving with the same friend and I heard this like guitar strumming and then piano come on. And I was like, okay, what is this? And she was like, this is the, the singer you like. And I was like, what's this song called? And I had started with Little Earthquake, so I hadn't gotten under the pink yet. She was like, it's called Cornflake Girl. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I was just instantly obsessed. That was like my favorite song for a long time. I think it's just rather than it necessarily being like a single song, you know, it was like, it was me and a gun it was the way she could talk about suffering and pain in a way that was so vulnerable, but made her seem so strong. And, you know, I grew up in the Canadian prairies. I would definitely made fun of for, for being gay or for being effeminate or being different. And I had never seen someone take what made them, I thought, weak and by being vulnerable and owning it become so strong and i saw her do that and for the first time i was kind of like oh like these things that make me different don't make me weak or less than or bad they're actually things that make me special and in her case incredible and i was like oh if i can think she's so inspiring like why can't i kind of be inspired for myself why can't I inspire myself the same way she takes things that were hard and inspires me with them so yeah it, it really it honestly changed my life <laughs> um, and is one of the reasons why I've been such a devout Tory fan ever since well you're inspiring me here same Jeremy Culver tell us did you have a, an early signature song that made you feel that same way and you grew up in Omaha Nebraska right it wasn't even so you Omaha, Nebraska. It was a town of a thousand people, uh, 30 miles east of Omaha. So I lived in Scotts Bluff for like six months. So I know mid, <laughs> mid Nebraska, I know how it can be. Um, tell us how it made you feel and how the music, the early exposure to the music made you feel. And if you had an early signature song, Merman. I think there was kind of like twin early signature songs for me. And there were probably Blood Roses and Hey Jupiter. They both had refrains in them about queerness or homosexuality that resonated with me at a young age, especially when in terms of questioning. I mean, uh, Blood Roses specifically, the refrain, I think you're a queer. I had that scrawled on my Chuck Taylors in high school, took a Sharpie, <laughs> put that all over my shoes. And uh. then, of course, in Hey Jupiter, Are You Gay, Are You Blue? And those two lines... <laughs> Specifically, just they always resonated with me um, as a teenager. And I think Blood Roses, I could tell that it was about sex and sexuality, and maybe in terms that I didn't fully understand, but I kind of felt on a guttural level. And it wasn't really clean. And I think it showed me different ways of expressing sexuality, specifically sexuality wasn't binary it wasn't it didn't look one way it didn't appear one way it didn't have to be expressed in a certain manner 
And I think that really opened up a lot of doors for me um, encountering that song. David, I think we've all too much ignored the subgenre of writing, of scrawling lyrics on our <laughs> shoes. Yeah. I think we all did that. I, I, I definitely did that. And I think I even did Are You Gay, Are You Blue? I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I believe it. Did you think by posing it as a question, it was deflecting that attention away from you while like kind of coming out at the same time? <laughs> like, I am, but shh. Are no, you, you are. gay? <laughs> Are you gay? Don't ask me. <laughs> well, I think you're a queer. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I loved hearing about what Tori meant to you kind of, you know, during the high school years. But since you're, you know, longtime Tori fans, what does her music mean to you now? Has your relationship with it changed? Or what do you feel like when you hear Blood Roses or Cornflake Girl? I mean, I'm going to say I, I have a lot of the same emotions, especially anything off of Voice for Pele. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, takes me to that same emotional center that it did when I was in high school. But I, I think I have a different perspective on that emotional center, if that makes sense. And I don't know, Boys for Paley in particular, it's such a sprawling album, and there's so many avenues to access that album. And I feel, especially in the last year, I think quarantine in particular has reignited my obsession with Tori Amos. Since I'm spending so much time alone, you know, mm. it's, it's like turning to the closest friend that I've had for the majority of my life. Um, you know, I listened to the entire podcast over the course of 2020. So Tori was definitely on the forefront of my mind most of this past year. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that singles out Tori versus any other musician or artist to me is the way and you guys explored in the podcast her music is so fluid and as she performs live every experience is different and the older songs get mashed together they evolve she adds lyrics she you know so even though there's sort of the recorded versions that we know over the the years and decades of seeing her live shows and downloading bootlegs and and all of that stuff it's never the same. Um, and just as sort of, you know, we grow up and, you know, it, it, like, like the other Jeremy said, kind of like you look back on these songs and what they meant to you in high school. And obviously now you're an adult and hopefully we're a bit more emotionally aware and secure who we are. And, and we can look on it with, with nostalgia, the way they, they evolve and shift as Tory ages, you know, I can relate to that and I listen to them differently and in more adult ways. At the same time, I can still, you know, shoot, go into my room and shut the door and lay down and listen to Under the Pink and feel very connected to the way I felt about it in high school when you kind of hear, you know, um, that, that old familiar recording that hasn't changed. So, yeah, I think it's that, you know, for me, it never gets old. It's always changing. It's always evolving. Every time I go see a show, she plays new songs and old songs, and she plays the old songs in such a different way that um, it just feels like sort of a continual evolution that never really stops. I love that. I want to ask, do you find, well, let's start with Jeremy Culver. What is it about Merman, and how did you discover Merman? I believe I found Merman in a Napster search in my senior year of high school. Probably took me about three hours to download that one song. But memories. (laughs) When I did finally encounter it, it just 
stuck with me immediately. I've always been, for the most part, a ballad boy when it comes to Tory songs and Tory and just the piano in particular. That usually resonates with me the most. Um, it just it's, it's kind of always stuck with me. It made its way onto a um, bedtime mix of mine, which I mean, kind of sounds like it wouldn't be your favorite if you know you kind of relegate it to that portion of your life. But it was something that I would like listen to. <laughs> it's like a lullaby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it really is. It really is. And so, like every night before I fell asleep, that was like one of the songs that I heard, and it was just the way it reassures and like calms and kind of empowers and just put you in like a mm. positive place before you went to bed and so i've mm-hmm. always kind of like carry it with me in that way jeremy elder yeah i discovered it in the exact same way you know late 90s i used to go on master or limewire or whatever and just search out any tori amos song that i didn't know that wasn't on the main albums and that's really kind of like unless you wanted to pay you know 60 bucks for these like imported b-sides you, you had to like <laughs> go online and pick them up um and yeah one day i came across uh, this song called merman and it's just like it's just like the other jeremy said you would like go to sleep and 12 hours later hopefully nobody had picked up the phone and then maybe you had one <laughs> song but you know I, but there's something about that like as i'm living it like right now that was really special like you had to work really hard to get those non-album tracks and it was it was like unearthing gold or something and you got a song like merman that is so beautiful i remember reading i don't i don't i obviously don't remember exactly when i found it but people on the boards and stuff were saying how it was like i think at one point we thought it was dedicated to matthew shepherd and then it came out that it was recorded before that so it couldn't technically have been but then she was dedicating it to people at concerts so my experience of merman has always been through the the lens of of matthew shepherd and of queerness and even if it's not how she initially wrote it you know i think the universe works in mysterious ways and especially for you know tori when she talks about how songs come to her and soundscapes and inspirations like i don't know i feel like there's definitely something cosmic and magical and you know about how that song came to be in that particular way around that time and speaking to a a gay person so explicitly and and beautifully and so it came to me through that lens and that's kind of how i've always seen it and you know the matthew shepherd's murder was such a shocking and formative experience for so many of us and at the time that's the way kind of people were talking about it on the, the message boards and stuff because that was for some of us the only place we could go to to talk to other gay people and so yeah it was a very very important song to me and i agree with you know the other jeremy there's something about it that's so ethereal and calm and it's almost like a prayer it, it blew me away from the first time i heard it and it stayed with me ever since did you experience it as any sort of, let's say, I don't know, queer anthem before kind of the Matthew Sher- the Matthew Shepard narrative kind of got grafted onto the song or she was playing it live and dedicating it to him? Like, what was your experience of it or what is your experience of it outside of that personally? For me, it has actually some very specific connotations with my own gayness. It was on my bedtime mix and someone happened to stumble into a situation where I was playing that bedtime mix mm-hmm. in my early okay. 20s. And <laughs> it was one of my um, 
formative sexual experiences that Mm -hmm. sort of fleshed out, for lack of a better term, my idea of my own queerness. It was the first time I had a sexual experience in the safety of my own bedroom. And with that song in the background and like the words, now no one can call you bad. It was the first time like it was more than just physical for me. And so that has kind of been like burned into my like queer identity this song has. So it really speaks a lot to me. And I didn't actually know the whole Matthew Shepard narrative until it was brought up in an episode of the podcast. And so to really so to know that it had this meaning for the queer community at large, I kind of like reaffirmed my impressions of the song. If that makes sense. It's like, I wasn't the only one who obviously picked up on this narrative or this emotion in the song. There's a whole bunch of other queers out there who have the same resonance with this song. And so when I found that out, um, that actually kind of hit me really hard, um, especially being in the Midwest. That attack happened to the state next to my state. And, you know, a few years before that in the 90s, of course, we had the Brandon Tina murder in in Nebraska, in my home state. So those two hate crimes sort of permeated my youth and specifically where I lived. And so to know that this song had this other life that I had no um, idea about kind of blew me away. And it made me appreciate it on another level. I love that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think... Aside from the lens of Matthew Shepard, just merman, the idea of a merman himself or itself is kind of queer and, and non-binary. You know, it's, it's obviously sort of intrinsic, intrinsically connected to the idea of like mermaids and something sort of feminine, with, you know, the fishtail. And, you know, even in a weird way, it kind of like blots out gender, you know, like mermen and merwomen, like they, they just have fishtails. Um, and so I kind of saw that as, you know, a real blurring of the lines across uh, across gender and just speaking to sort of an entity because it's, it's beautiful and mysterious, whether it's a merman or a mermaid. Um, so there was that. To me, it's the line um, doesn't need something you're not willing to give. Speaking back to kind of what I said before, you know, on my journey, my, my Tory journey early on, about how empowering it was, that was the first time, because, you know, I had spent so much time when I was younger dealing with wanting acceptance of people, wanting acceptance even of people who had bullied me or who I could tell were homophobic or looked down on me, and I just desperately, more than anything, you know, you want, you want them to like you, you want them to accept you. And listening to that song, that was the first time I thought, no, like, I, you don't want to give it to me, <laughs> but even more importantly, I don't fucking need it. I don't need your acceptance mm-hmm. if you're not willing to give it to me. And that was, you know, very, very formative in my own reckonings with past trauma and, and trying to feel how I was going to sort of navigate, you know, my way through the world as, as a gay man. It was, it was very, very impactful to me. Wow. I hear everything you're saying about that sort of non-binary tradition that's in the just being a merman. Um, it kind of it kind of blurs that line. I always saw when I thought of merman, I always saw like a King Triton, sort of <laughs> long flowing hair, big muscles, and just kind of like this beautiful tail. 
Um, and then David, what did you see? You saw like a fish person, right? Yeah, I always do. Like the creature from the Black Lagoon or Shape of Water kind of Gilman. <laughs> <laughs> I embrace otherness in the outsider, Eve. Not everyone is a beautiful shirtless dilf. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was searching for that in my life, I guess. So I grafted it onto the song. Yeah, still are. <laughs> um, yes. So to the Jeremys, when you hear Merman, what do you see? Like when, if you had to draw the Merman that she's singing of? I think I kind of lean towards the King Triton, big muscly, mm. but also embodies a certain feminine essence, mm. you know, with with the long flowing hair and like the gorgeous features. But with like the things that we associate with stereotypical mas- masculinity, the big muscles and everything mm. of that nature. And I think that's one of the things that always drew me to Tori's music is that it embodied both the feminine and the masculine in a very unique way. It wasn't specifically androgynous, like a lot of music that tiptoes in between masculinity and femininity. I feel like her music like yeah. had a foot firmly planted in both. I think that's what makes her music so unique. And it, it shows you different ways of seeing femininity and masculinity and being housed in the same vessel. Great answer. What about you, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree about Tori's ability to take sort of both sides of the gender spectrum and heteronormativity and and examine them, obviously, from a very strong feminine place, because that's how she identifies, but also from a masculine place. And and just like uh, the other Jeremy said, not androgynous, she's not erasing either. She encapsulates them both and examines and pulls them apart in ways... And I think, you know, higher level, that's kind of, I think, why her music appeals to lots of queer people or people who identify differently because that's sort of core to a lot of the things that she does. When it comes to visualizing the entity in Merman, I've always kind of seen it as like a spirit or, or uh, definitely not like a little mermaid <laughs> King Triton. Um, although, like, that's, that's hot. It's definitely hot. Um, but, yeah, I always think I kind of saw it as... Uh, I wouldn't have had the language for it then because we didn't really talk about it the way we do now, but uh, almost like a gender-fluid or a non-binary, non-conforming, just a being. Yeah, I always saw it more as that. Like a gill person, possibly? <laughs> like a fish person? <laughs> yeah, like not, not like the fish from the Black Lagoon either. Like kind of more... Um... <laughs> David. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, like a like a spirit, I guess, or yeah. Are you two especially good swimmers? There's a person online at themertailor.com we found who creates silicone mer tails because he said some kids want to grow up to become firefighters or superheroes. I wanted to be a merman. So <laughs> he creates these like really incredible. They're like $2000 these mer tails that you can swim in. Maybe I'll find me a sailor a mer tailor. <laughs> Christmas present. Thank you. (laughs) I want to ask a final question. Now, maybe it's hard to speculate, but as we were all kids in the 90s, as we were all grappling, if you will, with our own sexuality and our own identity and coming out, it's a different world that we live in today. And it's in ways, it's a more accepting world um, in, in ways. Not that kids today don't have the same struggles in terms of like coming to terms with themselves and like having to reveal to their possibly bigoted families, not that that has completely gone away, but it is a a bit more open and accepting. 
in other aspects. But do you see any modern day artists that sort of fill that gap that Tori filled? Or, or is it just a different time where we, an anomaly in a specific place in time, and it just, it just clicked with our queer identity? Or is there someone working today in that same arena? Or can kids today go to Tori still? What do you think? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I feel like there was kind of a female singer-songwriter zeitgeist in the early 90s. You know, there's that famous cover, I think it's Bjork and PJ Harvey and Tori, where Mm -hmm. there was just this kind of, and you know, different, different generations, different decades have different movements in art and in music and the way it sort of impacts culture broadly that I think are really specific to that time and place. So that's, that's the thought that pops up when I think of would a young gay or queer person today relate to Tori the same way as we did in the 90s? And I don't think so because of that reason. I think there's so much they could get from it. But there was something so special and unique. And it was the first time artists, and, and for Tori, that a woman with a piano was, was doing and saying those things. And mm-hmm. where now it's, it's more possible. And it's good that it's more possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you were thinking of people today, I thought of Sophie, who just passed away. I think mm-hmm. of Perfume Genius. Like, so I do think of, like, unabashedly queer artists, trans artists, who are kind of, to me, the evolution of, of what Tori was in the 90s. They are now mm-hmm. so open and they explore uh, those themes so openly. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it is a more accepting world, but I think, you know, I'm Canadian, but after four years of Trump in the U.S., I think there's a lot of more <laughs> awareness now of just how not open certain things are as well. So I'm sorry, who? Yeah, I'm sorry. It doesn't ring a bell. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, so I think I think those types of artists could create the same kind of exploration and awakening for queer people, but in a in a 2020 context. That is, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an evolution from Tori in the 90s, but it's not like a duplication. Right. What are, what are your thoughts, Jeremy Culver? Uh, the first artist that came to my mind as a current artist who kind of minds the same vein as Tori was perfume genius except for obviously the queerness is in the forefront it's not just Mm -hmm. subtly woven into the songs or occasionally not so subtly woven into the songs um this might be a little behind the current generation but one artist that I thought of who has subtle queer narratives in his songs was Sufjan Stevens and I think it he specifically speaks to a very specific queer audience, those who have kind of come from a religious background. Me, myself, I, growing up in the, the Midwest, definitely came from a strong religious background, which I think is another reason why Merman specifically resonated. You know, the priests are dead. No one can call you bad. And I think Sufjan sort of has underlying queer elements in his songwriting that really do. They resonated with me, like, in my 20s when he was first coming up. Um, he also has a very devoted fan base and audience in the same way Tori had or still has. Another artist that I thought of was Arca. Their sort of permutations on gender. I have a 19-year-old niece 
Arca, Perfume Genius, and Tori Amos are some of her favorite artists. I feel like for this current generation, sometimes there really isn't a timeline with when music came out since they kind of mm-hmm. encounter it through um, streaming services. Like songs kind yeah, of, right. they don't have histories. They just kind of appear to them. It's so much easier for them to just search and find something that feel, fills a void or a niche. You know, it took us mm-hmm. hours or weeks or months or driving two hours to a record store. To yeah, find. Like we had to save up for our. Yeah, yeah we had to save up yeah. for our music. Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Do you have a real window then into how like a 19-year-old experiences music like this? When you know, to say Tori and Perfume Genius in the same breath, I love that. Is there anything transgressive, let's say, about this music to someone who's that age now? I feel like it's hard to shock people or like drum up drum up a good controversy. It seems so quaint now, but Tori was actually like a controversial artist in the 90s. And she wasn't even addressing queerness directly. And obviously she's not a queer artist. We sort of made her one, but she wasn't. (laughs) And we had to dig deep and like scour Napster to find an obscure B-side to be like, this song speaks to my gayness. And we had to talk about it like in secret on message boards. And now you get like born this way. So (laughs) I I don't know. I love how not only did Tori make us gay but we made her gay too yeah (laughs) it's a dialogue eve yeah (laughs) it's a give and take between artist and audience (laughs) i i do think tori's music probably does seem a little quaint compared to music that's created nowadays there's probably more nuance in her music that probably gets lost i feel a lot of things nowadays have to be communicated explicitly or to resonate. I feel like our channels of communication have changed and the way we perceive information has changed. So I think some of her intent might get lost nowadays. I mean, to me, her music wasn't subtle in the 90s. It was super brash and in your face. I mean, if you're going to like suckle a pig on a billboard, that's, that's not subtle to me. But I feel like even that would be kind of slightly novel and quaint nowadays. I think I agree you know, like rock and roll was shocking to in the 50s. And people were like, what? It's the devil's music and stuff like that. And I I agree. Like, you know, I kind of keep it like if it's Tori specific, I remember, you know, like I've got an angry snatch. I was like, oh, my gosh, like what? that is scandalous. Like I can't let my mom or dad hear that. And now yeah, I can't let my like, snatch get angry. Right. And, and now we've got like Cardi B and what ass pussy. And like, that's just I know. out there. <laughs> so I agree with, I agree with the other Jeremy's point that like, I think from a, a kind of a shock value perspective, it's like, it's kind of like video game violence and, and movie, but like a lot of things now are a lot more intense than they used to be. And that kind of, I agree. I think what we kind of thought was controversial about, Tori would seem very mild now. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I did love your point um, about how people, I mean, I don't have a lot of 19-year-olds in my life to verify this with, but it feels really true that music to us used to be, you know, in the 90s, the kind of context we're talking about, Merman, really time-bound. Um, if you wanted music, they announced it, and seven months later, a CD came out, you had to go buy it. That was the only way um, you could get it. Um, and I think your point now of how, you know, on Spotify or whatever, you pick a mood, you pick a vibe, you pick an experience, and you get tracks from across any time um, served mm-hmm. up to you based on that feeling. Um, 
And that, you know, makes me feel like, oh, yeah, okay, there's a bunch of teenagers, and when they're feeling angsty, some angsty Tory is going to pop up <laughs> in their, like, made-for-you that day. And that right. makes me feel really good because I, I want them to hear it. Well, this has been a blast. And what I'm hearing is that without Tori, there'd be no Cardi B. So we have Tori to thank for Cardi B. Um, you can you can find Jeremy Culver online at Lost Verses on Instagram. And you can find Jeremy Elder online at Jeremy J. Elder Everywhere. That J is in the letter J. Jeremy J. Elder Everywhere. Thank you both for being here today. I've wanted to do a gay panel since like this whole podcast started. It's been my dream. And this was fun. Yeah, it definitely so was. Yeah. I love the podcast. I love everything you're doing. I think you should probably have a gay panel every album, though. It's probably where this is. Yeah. Wholehearted I agree. agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I love a gay panel. Jeremy's only. <laughs> uh, I will say, as a tidbit, um, my boyfriend's name is also Jeremy. Stop <gasps> it. Is he a Tory fan? I, he cannot claim that. He can claim a little more Curdy B than Tory. Okay. We'll have, to, we'll have to get him on, too. We'll have three Jeremys. We'll just keep <laughs> adding Jeremys, David. What do you think? Yeah, why not? Well, Jeremys, thank you for being here, and have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I'd love to be here. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 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 Here's a song called Merman by El Musa. Not a cover, nothing to do with Tori, but I like it. And we're going to link to it in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com.
Well, we're back in the lounge, David. Look around you. Mm. I've redecorated. I like the carpet. <laughs> Thank you. It's velvet. Can I have drinks in here, or is there a no food policy in the lounge? Get your drinks out of here. Leave your drinks in the foyer. Thank this you. This is a formal lounge. There's chaise. <laughs> have a lounge on the chaise, David, <laughs> while we discuss Merman, shall we? Don't mind if I do. In her entire career, Tori has performed Merman a total of 68 times, and it is broken down like this. In 1998, Tori Amos performed Merman 15 times. That's a lot. Happy Quinceanera, Merman. And for the first time, she performed it as the last song at the Boston show on April 25th, 1998, part of the club tour at the Avalon. This is the very first recording we have of Merman. Ended a show with Merman? Yeah. Mm. Multiple. I love that Tori really played up the water inspiration for this album. When she would end a show with Pandora's Aquarium, Merman, or one show I attended, Liquid Diamonds as a closer. We were baffled by that one. Or even Horses, I guess, in the 98 era, which had the disco ball, which could have made you feel like you were underwater. That's true. Right? She put us out to sea and then left us there. She didn't even tow yeah. us back in. She was like, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> She's like, let's drown them. Sink or swim, baby. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. See you in Akron. <laughs> I love her. Um, <laughs> this is the first time she performed it in the Secret Time section. This is August 2nd, 1998 in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, we've had some really good buddies hanging out with us for, you know, a few shows and come all the way from Europe. We're going to This is Merman on the 11th of September in Seattle. So, now, this is something that uh, didn't make this record right, and it's one of my favorites, so you probably don't even know what the song if I bore you. Here's what she had to say about this song in Anaheim 98. So this song, um, this hasn't made any of the records because it's my favorite song and my favorites never make the records. This is Merman, the very first time I ever heard the song, either live or studio. This is September 28th, 1998 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'll be quirky. And yes, that's me screaming a thank you. Anyway, this is um, for all 
This is the first time she ever dedicated it to Matthew Shepard. This is October 17th, 1998 in Baltimore, Maryland. So um, I talked to a lot of people outside today and um, the same thing was pretty much on everybody's mind. And I think um, we want to do this for a boy from Wyoming. Four shows later in Norfolk. So um, we've been doing this for the boy in Wyoming, and uh, I think you all know what I'm talking about. Um, we've been doing it a couple of times, and it feels right to do that, so we'll do that again. This is five shows later in Evanston. So the guys go up for a few minutes and since we were last in Chicago, obviously a lot of stuff's happened, and I've been doing this song very recently um, for that boy in Wyoming. So, wherever he is, this is for him. This is five shows later in Pittsburgh. This next song I wrote for, um, I wrote for somebody who's got jelly beans. Um, but I've been singing it for somebody that I've never met. This Matthew Peter that, um, yeah. That, uh, well, anyway, he's somewhere, but uh, I think you all know who I'm talking about. This is the last time she performed it in 1998 on November 25th in Newark. So ever since then, ever since the boy, ever since the boy Matthew died in Wyoming, we've been doing this on the tour. This song didn't make the record, as um, I know my favorite songs make any of my records. Just wanted to uh, kind of come out and uh, sing for him. 
1999, Tori Amos performed this song six times, David. The, mm. the most notable of which, by far, is the pay-per-view performance. Roll it, Oliver. I let it out. Who could simply wonderful? Who could Interesting choice. Why is it an interesting choice? For a televised performance that was going out to a wider audience than she might have had because of the Alanis component to do a deep cut Mm B-side as opposed to winter or something, for example. Yeah, you're right. Like a winter or a pretty good year even or... Silent. Well, she did do silent, but... Oh. Yeah, I hear that. You think that she would be doing the hits. Mm -hmm. Doing the top 40s. Mm Where's the China? What was that venue called? That was the Mandalay Bay Events Center. And I know that because I remember the sign rushing into the venue with all my bags and all my friends. It wouldn't surprise me knowing the way Tori's mind works if she was like, Bay, man, merman. I know. Mermandalay. Mermandalay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here's another notable performance. This is October 29, 1999 in London, England. <laughs> In 2001, on the Strange Little Tour, Tori Amos performed this song 10 times, David, for a deep cut B-side. And this is the first time she performed it, August 30th at Union Chapel, prior to like the tour starting. Here it is. Yeah. Good to build the priesthood. 
And it came back right at the beginning of tour, not the first show, but the second show. This is Merman from September 29th in Clearwater. So, um, I was doing this song um, on the last tour. I would dedicate it to um, somebody that represented a lot for a lot of us. Because um, what happened to him is no different, really, than what happened on September 11th. It's just to one person, but it was still so hateful. And for Matthew, wherever you are, On October 7th, 2001, in Washington, D.C., she performed the song with an improv, Thank Heaven for Little Boys. It was always either at the end and like the encore, generally, not always, but it was generally always in the encore or right before or after me and a gun. Mm-hmm. And then like a couple times in the middle. But <laughs> so it was all over the place, I guess. <laughs> Wherever she wanted to put it that night is where she put it. It's like playing Marco Polo with Merman. Murmur. Man, man. In 2002-2003, Tori Miss performed this song nine times, seven on the Scarlet's Walk tour and two times on the Lotta Pianos tour. It's interesting to me that on this tour, the song was almost always paired with the Little Earthquake song. For example, Winter Merman, Winter Merman, Merman Leather, and then Merman Winter, Merman Silent, Merman Silent, Merman Silent. It's just interesting to me. What do you hmm. think? I think this song definitely serves as a lullaby of sorts for Tori. Mm-hmm. So that when she's mm-hmm. in kind of a like, let's take it down a notch place. Yeah. She pairs it with a similar song. Agreed. Icicle also paired with... Interesting, Tori. This is a performance with a beautiful little improv before. This is March 15th, 2003 in Louisville. In this room 
In 2005, Tori Amos performed this song eight times. It was a hot tour. Maybe she wanted to cool people off with Merman by the water. Yeah, I know. First you five know. rows may get wet. <laughs> Splash zone. <laughs> this is the last time she performed it. August 26, 2005 in Montreal. Every time this tour, every single time it was in the encore. But not necessarily paired with the same song every time, just in the encore. Yeah, it was always in the encore, not always paired with the same song. But one time, that first time on the tour in Atlanta, she did pair it with Twinkle. So a casual fan might be like, why is she playing the same song twice? Why is she playing this twice? Did we just hear this? (laughs) (laughs) On the American Doll Posse tour in 2007, Tori must perform this song four times. Always as Tori, right? I will never get used to having to ask that question. Always as Tori and always in the solo section. Never worked it up with a band. This is from Manchester, July 5th, 2007. Chase 
again paired with silent all these years i'm not saying anything but every time this tour it was paired with i guess i am saying something every time this tour it was paired with a little earthquake song hmm. one time silent two times silent one time china one time mother in 2009, on the Sinful Attraction Tour, she performed it two times. One time Sinful, one time Attractive. Mm, which one do you prefer? The Attractive one. Mm-hmm. I've moved on from Sin. <laughs> I'm ready to just be attractive till my dying days. Me too. Here is October 4th, 2009 in Antwerp. did not perform this at all on the 2010 summer tour but she did come back in 2011 to perform it six times the first of which was in saint petersburg russia on september 30th mistake there. Why? Given a lot of the anti-homosexual rhetoric in Russia or politics mm-hmm. or policy, mm-hmm. that was probably a form of protest for her. Mm-hmm. That's true. In 2014, on the Unrepentant Geraldine's tour, Tori performed this song three times. So it's still then in her repertoire. This is Stuttgart, June 9th, 2014, and Merman's debut on the organ... We've made it to 2017, and boy, do I have a story for you. I'm ready. 
Start at the beginning. Okay. This story begins and ends entirely in Eugene, Oregon. On November 25th, 2017, I'm standing in the meet and greet line and Tori Amos, you know, our heroine, I get up to her and I'm just, you know, ready to chit chat about whatever. I have whatever plan to say that I'm going to say. And finally I get up there and she's like, oh my God, I've been meaning to talk to you. And I look around and also me, you haven't been trying that hard. Like I'm here, I've been in this meet and greet line all day. And also like I'm at all of your shows. So... She's like, I've been meaning to talk to you. And she's very, she's deadly serious. You know, that look that she gets. Mm -hmm. And she's very serious. And she's like, there's been a hate crime. And I said, oh my, like I was really taken aback. And I said, was it someone in our community? And she said, it was not someone in our community, but it was someone very close to someone in our community. And And she said, I want you to find that person and talk to him on your show and get more details. And I said, okay, great. I will absolutely do that. And she said, I will be responding to it tonight on stage. It will be subtle, but I will be responding to it tonight on stage. It's not the walk, it's not the way. 
And that was that. And I did try to find that guy that night. And I kind of, you know, I had told people the story post the meet and greet prior to the show. And then like I'd been talking about it and we were trying to find the guy, right? <laughs> we didn't know. So finally, I don't know how John, I had never talked to my friend John Ausler about it, but I eventually told him that story. And he said, wait a second. The guy that told her about the hate crime was in front of me in the meet and greet because he was trying to be helpful. He's like, I know who you're talking about. It's that guy that was in front of me at the meet and greet. And I was like, wait, John was like five people in front of me in the meet and greet. So when Tori says, I've been meaning to talk to you for six people, Tori, I thought she'd... (laughs) I love that. Well, you know what? Hey, as long as I was on her mind, that's all I care about. If she was meaning to talk to me for one person or two person, that is still cool. I guess you could say it's pretty cool. And the guy, we never did find that guy. Just to just to tie a bow on the story, we never did find the guy, but his friend reached out to us and said that he had moved, he was doing fine. And so, yeah, so that's the end of the story. That was not the final time she performed Merman on this tour. She performed it one more time on December 3rd, 2017 in... Los Angeles with a medley of leaving on a jet plane and Operation Peter Pan. She was knocking him out at that point last show. She was. Gotta medleyize it. I do want to also point out that on October 31st, 2017, Tori Amos judged our costume contest for the podcast. We did a costume contest where everyone dressed as their favorite Tori. And this gentleman dressed up as a merman and she loved him so much. And she performed Merman that night. And let's just, I want to play that one because I forgot to play that one earlier. That was Ann Arbor, Michigan, Halloween 2017. That's it. How was your stay in the AMOS Live Lounge? I was a little afraid to touch anything. Because it's all shiny new. Yeah. It's got that remodel. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll get used to it. I'll feel at home sooner or later. Yeah, clearly you're used to it. Your feet are up on the chaise. I know. I just don't want to leave coffee rings on anything. Well, get up, David. Let's go to the elevator. Okay. (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the AMOS Live Lounge. Goodbye.
did it, David. We sure did. Do you feel like you're in Peppermint Land? I need an after-dinner mint. I would love to just stay here forever. It's so nice here in Peppermint Land. Yeah. In Mermania? It's Feels just so nice. nice. Mm, I have my Mermania under control. <laughs> did you use that salve I gave you? Uh-huh. Calmed it right down. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I always love when we get to Act 6 because I feel like we've accomplished something. When we get to the final stages of the show, when we're playing the Pirates dance mix and we just feel good about ourselves. Agreed. It's the only time in my entire week that I feel like I've accomplished something or that I feel good about myself. Oh, cut it out. Who could ever say I'm not simply wonderful? Well, let me read you the list. It's pretty long. Right. Oh, starting with... No. If you like what we do, please find us on social media. That's Songs of Tremus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email us, songsoftremus at gmail.com. You can call our hotline, 323-296-9955, and leave us a voicemail if you're interested in talking about any song on our show. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes, but if you really, really like what we do, you're going to go over to patreon.com slash Amos and click subscribe. You're going to become a patron supporter today, yeah. and you're going to have exclusive access to all kinds of audio content. And if you yes. really, 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 really love what we do, you're going to call Apple Podcasts and say, how do I leave a six-star review? Yeah, <laughs> you're going to get them on the phone, even though they have no phone number associated with them. You're going to make it work. Demand to speak to the manager. Recently released on Patreon, we have our expose on the world of Upside Down. We went upside down to get into it. We hung ourselves to dry, basically, to get into Upside Down. Oh, I'm exhausted. Mm, those little earthquakes. Here we go again. How do you feel about yourself and Merman now that we've accomplished this gargantuan task? I now see Merman as a hunky King Triton, but myself as a fish creature. So <laughs> I've got some work to do. No, you always need balance. Mm. Even a fish person can find a hunky King Triton. Is that true? That's what the guys on Grinder keep telling me. Um, okay, well, this has been fun. It's been nice. <laughs> well, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.
Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com.